Hello. Happy seventh day of the week. Good to see everybody. Uh, for the people that might be listening for the first time, you're listening to the live worship services of I Saw the Light Ministries coming to you from the state of Tennessee in the eastern United States of America. We're going to have a sermon <clears throat> coming up here. I'm looking for a song right now. Uh, we have a sermon coming up here very shortly, just a few minutes. First, we're going to have uh, at least one more song, and then we'll go in prayer, and then we'll start the sermon. Of course, uh, song I'm looking for. Well, let's see. Be nice if they had a search feature. Oh, there it is, right there. Uh, this is not in our songbook, so we'll consider this a special music for today. This name of this particular song is Trust and Obey. Jesus, that's the one I was thinking of. Cool. Praise God. <laughs>
praise Jesus. Go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day, this day of rest, worship, fellowship, this day of commanded gathering. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we can hear your word, receive your word, and instruction for life. We ask for the special anointing on these worship services, on this message, this sermon. I ask you, Lord, to help us to be better witnesses, to share the truth more effectively, the best way possible, so that we can bear fruit for you. So that we may help people see the light, be delivered from the darkness of lies and deceptions of traditional religion, people's misconceptions. We accept that this word would not be void nor in vain, but that this word will serve the purpose, fill the purpose of which forth it is being sent from heaven. Jesus' name, so be it. Let's turn into the Bible here. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, we'll start in verse 1. And for the people that might be listening for the first time, we're reading from the Alpha Bible. The Alpha and Omega Bible, a restoration of the original scriptures using older manuscripts than what the King James was based upon. Therefore, it's more reliable, in addition to the fact that the translation is not based upon the Baptist Church or the Pentecostal Church or the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or such and such and such denominations of mankind but rather based upon what the actual Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic words actually mean. That's very unique, actually. And it really is unique because that's just reality of life, is that when you have uh, a group of people that are devoted to a religious organization, a denomination, it affects the translation, absolutely. When we have uh, translated this, we have looked at these words, original words, and we didn't care whether it fit that particular doctrine or a particular other doctrine, but rather, what does that word mean? What is the actual word that was there, and what does it mean? So it is accurate, because we are willing to change what we believe. Amen. We have done that. We have Amen. changed what we believe. I have said it over and over again, that if we do not allow God to change our thinking on something, at least one thing, each year, every year, then we're not growing in the truth. We're not growing in Christ. 
we need to allow God to change us. And that's not a one-time event only. There is, of course, the initial change, repentance and salvation, but then we continue to grow in the measure of salvation and the measure of God's presence in us, the measure of our obedience to him and our relationship to him and more. There's a process of time growing in the knowledge of the Lord and understanding and correct doctrine and unlearning the errors, the doctrine errors of mankind. Process. Amen. So we should allow the Bible to change us. Amen. Do that by getting the most accurate translation and then believing it and obeying it. Even as the book of James says, the doers of the word, not just hearers, not only. Today's topic is, is God's law void? Of course, most churches today in our modern, upside-down world, wicked world, more wicked than it has been in thousands of years, uh, and, and perhaps ever, the magnitude of wickedness upon the earth is astounding and getting more and more wicked every month and every year. It blows my mind how wicked people can be. And they're proud of it. They're actually proud of their wickedness. So, this world believes to do what you want to do. Just do what you want to do. That is the actual real satanic motto. I'm not making that up. It really is the satanic motto that they actually live by, that they write in their books, is do as you want to do. But yeah, that's actually also the Christian motto for a lot of churches. Do as you want to do because you can just pick a Sabbath or have no Sabbath at all and celebrate whatever holy days, holidays that you want to, even if the Bible don't command it. Make it up yourself. That's, that's, that's Buddhism. Make it up yourself. Do as you want to do. That's not the true Christian biblical principle. It's not what the Bible tells us. It's not what the Bible instructs or directs or teaches. But that's your traditional church for a large degree. I I know there are exceptions. But to a large degree, that is the average uh, church, especially in America. Is the law of God void? They would say yes, a lot of the churches. Traditional Babylon claims that all of God's law is done away with. But actually, if you examine their teachings, they actually believe in more law than we do. They do. They really do. I will even give you some examples. They believe that everything that we do is a sin. 
everything's a sin. And yet, they contradict themselves to say there's God's law is void. They don't even know what the biblical definition of sin is. Right? Maybe we should just get that out of the way straight forward, right here and now. Just put a piece of paper there in Matthew 15. And let's go over to uh, 1 John. Yeah, 1 John 3, 4. Over there, right before Revelation. 1 John 3. I have the Alpha Omega Bible paperbacks. This is page 268. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 4 says, everyone who commits a sin also commits transgression or breaking of the law. Because sin is. Right here is your biblical definition of what sin is. Sin is transgression or breaking of the law. This is New Testament. This ain't old. This is the New Testament. And it's saying that sin is when you break God's law. And yet the Baptist preacher will get out there or come to your house and tell you God's law is void. Does that make any sense? No. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, just to be honest, I, 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 I hope that every one of you ask yourself that question in your mind, in your head. Does that make any sense? God's law is void. It doesn't exist. But the New Testament says that when you break God's law, that is sin. There's obviously still sin in this world. Amen. Therefore, obviously, logically, common sense God's law still exists. The question is, how much of God's law, which God's laws, which commandments, which verses in the Bible, all of it or none or part of it or what? That's the better question. But to say all of it is void is a very ridiculous statement that they make all the time. But they actually, like I said, Let's go back to Mark, uh, Matthew, Matthew 15. As I said, they actually believe in more law than we do, even though they claim that they don't believe in God's law. For example, they say that it's a sin to drink alcohol, even one sip. Some different churches, different denominations, one sip or two sips. What, what, how much do you have to drink to be a sin? Is it one ounce? Is it five ounce? Ten ounce? Twelve ounce? Some people would argue uh, only drunkenness or what? But either way, they relate it to sin. A lot of them, even one thing. And to masturbate, that is a sin to them. To smoke a cigar, even if it's one time a year, it's a sin. Uh, one cigarette one time a year or once every ten years is still a sin to them. 
uh, is a sin for a man to be attracted to a woman, to look at a woman, to be attracted to her, even though God gave the man those particular hormones and that natural affection toward a woman. But it's a sin. It's a sin for a man to go uh, in public without a shirt, even though we don't see any uh, restriction to that in the Bible. But it, it's a sin. It's a sin for a man to have long hair, even though the Bible says to grow your hair long and not cut it if you're devoting yourself to God. Uh, but it's a sin, too. Everything is a sin. It's not a it's a sin to it's a sin to not observe the pagan holidays that existed to worship Zeus and the birthday of Zeus on December twenty fifth. It's a sin to not worship Zeus on his birthday. They say that's a sin. It's a sin to not worship Queen Easter, of which uh, Solomon fell away from God and started worshiping Queen Easter and other gods. But it's a sin to not do the same thing as Solomon did, to fall away from God. It's a sin to not fall away from God. It's a sin not to worship Queen Easter. To them, everything is a sin. It's a sin to not believe in a three-headed God, that God is three different people. That's a sin to to believe in more to not believe in more than one God. It's a sin to them to obey the biblical command to keep to observe the seventh day Sabbath. They say that's a sin. Am I am I standing here lying about any of this? Is any of this unfactual of what they claim? They say it's a sin. To not sin. They say it's a sin to not break God's law, that you have to break God's law, that you have to not keep God's Sabbath, that you have to disobey the Bible. It's a sin not to disobey the Bible. This really is what they are preaching, even though they put it in different words. But it is what they're preaching. Amen. Even as the Bible says here in Matthew, let's turn over here to chapter 17, verse, uh, I thought it was maybe verse, no, chapter 7 is what I'm thinking about, Matthew 7. Around verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And yet I will declare them to them, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Get away from me. You who work at breaking the law. They work at it. They believe in it. They teach it. They teach others to do it. 
And as I have said many times, these are people very clearly in the context of everything it's saying here, these are Christians. These are not unbelievers. These are people who call themselves Christians. These are people that have said the prayer of salvation. These are people that came down to the altar and cried tears and professed Jesus' name and knew his name and called him Lord and called him Master and prayed to him and read the Bible and teach the Bible and preach. These are Christian leaders. These are television evangelists, absolutely. Amen? These are your church leaders. These are your uh, top ten bestseller list authors. Amen? These are who this is. And yet, Jesus said, get away from me. I never knew you. You was never saved. Right there alone proves that you're not saved just by a prayer of salvation. Of repeat the words after me. Amen. These people thought they were saved. They thought they were doing great works. Great works for God. They were not saved. They had never been saved. Amen. I never, never did know you. Never did. They had never, ever been saved. For their life was devoted to thinking they were saved and leading the church. These are people that are leading the churches out there in the world right now. And it's not a few, but many. It says many, multiple, lots, lots, many people. This is not just a few people. This is not an exception but actually the average. This should be a wake-up call when people hear these words. But most people hear these words and it doesn't make any difference in their life. There's been a man just recently said, right here and heard these very same words, he still goes to the Sunday churches. It's not made any difference in his life at all. No. Goes in one year out the others here. Very sad. People would gather, go to a church that tickles the ears. And that's what the Bible tells us that people would do. And in the time of Timothy, that that's the, time, the way it would be, and in the time of the end, that that's the way it would be. In the context, that's what it really was saying in both lifetimes or both generations, that it would be that way. And it is. The Bible's true. The Bible's very true. And they read these words, and they never think, oh, that's me, or that's my church, or that's somebody else all the way on the other side of the nation. That's somebody else. It's not me. But yet, Revelation 12, verse 9 says that Satan has deceived the entire world. So, yes, it is. Everybody, the entire world, everybody, many. It doesn't say few, but many. So, this is something that should really shake people up, as the Bible says, to... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
it should shake people up. We have to sincerely and deeply examine ourselves. People are not willing to do that. If they were willing to do that, they would change. Preaching like this would change your mind. It would convict their hearts, as it did in the Acts chapter 2. It would convict their hearts if they were willing to really actually appreciate what the truth is. But they don't. You give them these verses, you give them all the verses for the Sabbath, you give them all the verses for tithing, you give them all the verses for the Holy Days, you give them the verses against Easter, against Christmas, against the Trinity, so on. You give them the truth. You give them the Bible verse. And the Bible verse is as clear as day, so easy, so simple, so straightforward. And it doesn't make any difference at all to them. And yet, you still say, you still think, you still say, they love God. How can you say that? How can you say that they love God and yet you give them a very clear Bible verse and it makes no difference to them? What they love is the fairy tale of the fake image of Jesus that they have in their mind, not the true Jesus. That's what they love is the fake image of Jesus, the fake ideal of God, of what God is and what God wants. That's why they love. They don't love the real God, God of the Bible. Amen? Now, isn't that the truth? But let's go on here. Yeah, they believe in more law than we do, but it's their law, their law. So now finally, going back to Matthew 15, Matthew 15, verse 1, then some of the Pharisees and scribes, now this is religious leaders, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, the religious leaders? For they do not, your disciples do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do your, why do you, uh, I don't think, why do you, your traditions, I think that's a misprint there. Why do your, uh, oh, you yourselves transgress, I get it now. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of Theos for the sake of your tradition? Don't you think about something here? Why does it say your tradition? Because actually the Bible commanded the washing of hands and the whole body and all this. Uh, many time, all, every time you sinned, he was always washing your hands, always washing your body, scrubbing your body from head to toe uh, on a constant basis according to the old covenant laws but it had become more than what God commanded. It had become a, a very legalistic ritual, and everything was a sin. 
everything was the same. So it has gone beyond what God wanted and become a ritual. That's why it calls it a, a tradition of man. Uh, plus, the Bible says that God never really wanted the animal sacrifices, circumcision, and all the other the unclean meats, the, the temporary ceremonial ritual laws. The Bible says he never really wanted any of that. But those were added on because the people were disobedient to the Ten Commandments and to the Holy Days and to the tithes, that the extra laws were added, the Bible says, because they were out of control. They needed extra law. God didn't really want all this worshiping, all this animal sacrifices and all that. That wasn't really the original law. So we have to separate the original law of the Sabbath, which was right there as soon as mankind had been created, here's your law. Here's your Sabbath. Yeah. And that, that wouldn't been the only rule. I mean, come on, use some common sense. God made only one rule? No, of course not. There was other rules. Amen? He would have given them a whole list. And it's always been a sin to murder. Always. Even in the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, murder was a sin. That would have been part of the rule. The Ten Commandments was always right from the very start. Absolutely. And not only the Ten Commandments, but also the Holy Days and Tiding. Because if you've got the Sabbath as a holy day, that's not going to be the only holy day. It doesn't take much logic or much common sense to figure this out. It's simple. You're going to have more than one rule. Come on now. And you're going to have more than one holy day. There's 365 days a year. You know, you're going to have more than just one holy day. Common sense. And the Bible does say that Abraham kept the laws and the commandments both. And that was way before Moses. You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Joseph, and they carried the bones of Joseph out of Egypt with them across the Red Sea. They actually did carry the bones of Joseph across the Red Sea when they left Egypt into the wilderness. So, Abraham was way back before Moses and before what they call the law of Moses. But it says, the Bible says that Abraham obeyed God in both the law and the commandments both, and ordinances. It actually lists three different categories of laws. So even before Moses, there was a lot of law of God. Not the law of Moses, but the law of God. Amen? And the law of man and traditions of man. All that, all that existed back then as well. In Abraham's time as well. Amen? That's Bible. That is Bible and that's never preached. 
never preached by a traditional Christian pastor because it goes contrary to what they want you to believe. They want you to believe that the law is nothing but Moses, Moses' law, Moses' law, Moses' law. What about, what did Abraham obey? What law was that? Amen? And, and, and Abraham paid tithes to Mechaziah. Mechaziah was Jesus in the flesh before Jesus was even born. So that, that, there was the existence of tithes hundreds of years before Moses was even born. At least uh, uh, three generations higher, meaning is that, what, 150, 200 years, whatever. So interesting information. It's right there in the pages of your Bible. It's right there. It's not even hidden. It's in the Bible. It's not hidden from you if you just read the Bible. Just read it. So anyway, but there was other traditions and laws added on over time because of people's disobedience to the laws that already existed. Amen? And the people took it overboard, became, became even just praying, became ritual, even fasting, became ritual. Amen? Even as it is to many people today, fasting is just nothing but a health thing, just to be healthy. They claim it's to draw closer to God, but I don't see them drawing closer to God. Amen? I don't see them drawing closer to God when they fast. I don't see it. I don't see it happen. It can happen, but I don't see it. No. So continuing Matthew 15, verse 3 said... Um, why do you transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Verse 4, for Theo said, honor your dad and mom, and for he who speaks evil of dad or mom is put to death. So that's the Ten Commandments, is to honor your parents. Amen? And Jesus brings it up. Amen? So that's one of the actual original laws, the Ten Commandments. He brings up the original law in opposition to the added law, the washings that were added on later on. There's an opposition here between two sets of laws. Amen? As we said, all, uh, not all of the law of God can be void because God does command obedience. Amen? And the Bible defines what sin is, is breaking God's law. So it's what law is the better question. Jesus brings up an opposition between two different sets of laws. Yeah. <clears throat> but as we are there mentioning this particular law of honoring your parents, we have to say, we have, because there are new people listening, and because it, we, we've got to address everything that comes across in our conversation here, in our Bible study here. We have to address every little issue that comes across because traditional religion lies about every little issue. And every little issue, everything is a lie 
and traditional religion. So we have to speak about every, that's why it takes two, three hours to do, to do these sermons. Now, I know a lot of people might be getting sick and tired in here and beating us up all the time. But we have to remember there's always somebody new listening. We have to teach those people. Amen. But honoring your parents, absolutely, that is God's law. Amen. Me and Brother Gerald were just talking the other day that, you know, if your parents were uh, the biblical parents, your parents really were your parents and acted like your parents and, and, and raised the children right, the right thing to do is for their children to then, when the parents get old, is instead of putting them into the nursing home, is to take care of your parents and your grandparents, to take care of your family, instead of throwing them in the nursing home. That's the right thing to do. But at the same time, as we mentioned the other day in our private conversation, is that there are exceptions. Because if my dad had been Hitler, I would not have taken care of him in my own home. I would have thrown him in the hospital, or worse. Amen? Because Hitler was not deserving of any honor, of any respect, of any obedience, of anything. And God would not have required us, any of us, anybody on the earth, even his own real children, to show him honor or respect, because he was extremely, extremely demonic. Extremely demonic. So there are exceptions to the law. There are. But in general, we should honor our parents, and in general. But there, my own, but in the my situation, my situation, if my dad's wickedness, my mom's wickedness, my brother's wickedness, and my cousin and my nephew and everybody in my family, basically, their wickedness. God spoke. He said, you don't have to visit these people. You do not have to associate with these people. You do not have to let them treat you like a dog. You do not have to let them run over you. you. You do not have to have anything to do with it. And I have no doubt about this at all, of the different times that God said words like that, similar words, and God's direction for me in my own private situation. And we have to safeguard ourselves, our own salvation, our own peace of mind and health and, and livelihoods. We can't allow anybody else, it don't matter who it is, we can't allow anybody else to drag us down and hinder our salvation or pull us into the depths of uh, depravity, 
we have to watch out for ourselves. And if our parents are the ones that would pull us away from God's truth or speak evil of God's truth, then they are not deserving of honor or respect or fellowship. It don't matter who it is on earth. We prepare this verse with Luke 14, verse 26, and Matthew 10, verses 34 through 37. Now, Brother Gerald, I want you to write down that we need to add those verses to this uh, as the references at the end of verse 4. The end of verse 4, to add the references of Luke 14, 26, and Matthew 10, verses 34 through 37, 34 to 37. Because we can't go by one verse by itself. We have to read the entire Bible, the entire Bible. So when we read these other verses I'm talking about, it does make it very, very, very clear that we must be willing to forsake our parents, our spouses, our friends, our children, anyone and everyone. We must be willing to forsake anyone, even our parents. So there are exceptions to the law. Now, with that, with that understood, we move forward to verse 5. And then verse 6. Verse, uh, verse 6, they invalidated the word of God about honoring their parents, not because their parents were wicked, but because they did not want to um, take money away from the temple, is what was going on here. Um, but we have to read verse 5. It says, But you say, you say, here's your excuse. Whoever says to his dad or mom, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. Been given to God. So their excuse for not taking care of their parents was they had given all their money to the temple. They said it's to God, but it was to the temple. Because the Jews, the Pharisees, they gave to, you know, the, the temple did demand a lot of honor and respect. God commanded them to honor the temple. Amen. But even though God commanded them to honor the temple, just like the washing of the body, they went overboard. They became legalistic about it. They became too focused on the object. See, that's the problem with legalistic people. They become too focused, obsessed on it's a cigarette, it's a beer, it's alcohol, it's sex, it's a penis, it's a, a temple, it is a God's law. They become obsessed with law or a temple or whatever it is. They don't look at the spirit of things. Amen? 
God never intended for the people to become obsessed with the temple and to worship it more than him. Amen? He never meant that your tithes and offerings would enrich the temple bank account while ignoring the needs of the people, not just the parents, but of everybody, the poor. You compare this with Isaiah chapter 1. The same problem occurred in Isaiah chapter 1. It would be a great comparison. So add that reference. Is that reference? It's not there. So we can add that reference as well at the end of verse 4, Isaiah 1, because that's the perfect reference. It's the same problem was occurring there. Is that God said that he had had enough of the fasting and the crying out to him and the holy days and everything. Even though he wants us to pray, he wants us to fast, he wants us to keep the holy days, he said, I had enough of all that because you're neglecting the needs of the people. The purpose of tithes is to help the people, not to enlarge the ministry bank account, not to make the church look like a, a, a giant, uh, beautiful piece of art. That's not what the money's meant for. It's to help the people. Say so they were not using the tithes for what it was really meant for. This was the problem. That was the problem. So they really invalidate the will of God and the word of God for the sake of the tradition of mankind, as I look at verse 6. They're, they're forsaking the will of God and the original intent of the money so that they would fulfill the tradition of mankind, which is really the worship of the temple rather than the worship of God. Verse 7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah, Jesus, prophesy of you, saying this in verse 8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now that, again, that reminds me of Matthew 7, that they're with their lips, with their mouth, they're saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this? But yet their heart is far from me. Jesus said, I never knew you. Get away from me. Get away from me. Your heart is far from me. That's, that's the perfect example there as well. Go ahead, Brother Gerald, at the end of verse 8. And put a reference to Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. That's perfect reference for that as well. And I'll write that in. I'll write that in too. That's a perfect reference there. Nice as pins with cooperate. All right, got it. Verse 9, but in vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. That's the same thing happening in Matthew 7, where they're casting out demons and calling on the name of the Lord. In vain do they worship me. People don't understand. Christians don't understand this. That you might be worshiping God. 
going to church every time the door is open, reading the Bible, praying, fasting, fasting more than anybody I know. You might be doing all of this, but all of it be in vain. It's possible, according to the Bible. It's possible. Not only is it possible, it really is in vain. That's every Sunday church. It's in, in vain. Every Christmas church, every Christmas Christian, every Easter, every Sunday, every Trinity person, it's all in vain. It's useless. Totally useless. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of mankind. They have more rules than we do. Amen. They really, really do. Teaching as doctrines the commands of mankind. So it's not whether or not law is void, because they believe in more law than we do. But what law? Which laws? They want to obey the man-made laws, and we want to obey God's laws. That's the difference. Amen? That's the difference. Let's go over to chapter 23 now. Matthew 23. Once you get to Matthew 23, let's go down to verse 23. It's 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tied mint and dill and cumin, these three types of spices, and have neglected the weightier, the heavier, I rather if it says heavier, provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. Amen? Without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus is saying it's possible to do both. To give your tithes and to help the people, to have justice for the people. That's talking about helping people. Justice for the people. Mercy for the people, faithfulness, amen. It's possible to do both without neglecting the other. But they were wanting to focus, to be obsessed with giving the money to the temple bank account instead of helping the people. Now, this verse should not be used to try to claim that tithes are of only food, spices, agricultural items. It's very often twisted to try to teach that false teaching, false claim, that you don't have to give money tithes because it's agricultural. Well, the people that claim that, they're ignoring the fact of life that in that day and time, spices were extremely expensive. And they were used as money. In that day and time, people traded items. 
There was a lot of bartering, trading for merchandise. And spices were valuable. There's been wars fall over spices. Amen? So it wasn't like we have today where you can just go to the Dollar Tree and get spices for a dollar. It wasn't like that. In that day and time, they were very valuable trading items for merchandise. It was like money. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verses 23 to 25, talking about your second tithe that you save back for all your holy days, for the Sabbath travel, for the Feast of Tabernacles travel, for Pentecost travel, so forth. It confirms there in Deuteronomy 14 that you can sell the food items to turn it into money to still be used for the same purpose of those second tithes. And if that's true for second tithes, then it's also true for first tithe and third. It's the same spiritual principle that if the food itself is not used as a tithe, that the merchant won't accept it or whatever the situation may be, turn into money that can be used. So it, it, it's a very poor excuse when all these people try to say you don't need to pay tithes because it was food back it was not always food back then. It was not always food back then. To say it was is a lie. It was not always food. What did uh, Abraham give to Mackenzieck? A, a tenth of everything. Everything. It wasn't just food. Amen. A tide is a 10%, your first 10%, to be more specifically, the tithe is your first 10%, not your leftover change, but your first 10% of any increase. Any increase. It doesn't matter whether it's food or money, gold or silver. Any increase. But this verse shows that it's possible to do both. Take care of your family and people and still pay your tithes. And yet people say today, I can't pay my tithes because I've got to take care of my family. You can do both. Because if you put God first, because the tithe is the first, not the leftover. If you obey God, the Bible promises, God promises, He will bless you. You may not get it back the same day. You might. I have had that happen to me, get it back the same day, the same amount or double. I have had that happen to me. It is possible. But you might not get it back the same day, or you might. It might be the next day. It might even be next year, but you will get it back, and it will be multiplied. But you have to have faith that God will bless it. That God will bless you. That God will provide. That was the number one sin in the wilderness is they did not trust God to provide. The number one sin in the wilderness. It is why 
that they had to wander 40 years in the wilderness rather than only two months. It's because they were cowards. They did not trust God to provide the victory, the military victory, when they was ordered by God to go into Canaan and to seize the land away from the people. They said, they're bigger than us. They got more guns than us, more arrows, more bow and arrows. They, they're bigger. They're more powerful. We're just naked slaves. That's all we are, naked slaves that just came out from Egypt. But they are well equipped. They got fortified cities with high walls. How are we going to win against them? They didn't trust the arm of God. Amen. They did not trust the arm of God. And that's the same sin that we're battling today with people that won't give their first 10% to God. They don't trust the arm of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. Page 248, 247, depending on when you got your AOB Bible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Hebrews 7, verse 1, it says this. For this Mechaziah, king of Salem, that is the old name of Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, blessed, and to whom also Abraham apportioned a tithe of all, everything. Amen? Everything, all, everything, it wasn't just food. And was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, talking about Mechaziah. Who is the King of Righteousness? Jesus is. And then also is called King of Salem, who is the King of Jerusalem, which is the King of Peace. Amen. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, and sister, having neither beginning of days nor end of the life. This is God. This is God. That manifested as the son of Theos, the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Right there it tells you who it is. It tells you who it is. It's Jesus. Abraham met Jesus. Thousands of years before Jesus came in the form of a human baby, he came in the form of a macho alpha male king. How many pastors want to tell you that? But it's right here in the Bible. People just read the Bible. People think when Jesus came as a baby, it was the only time he came to earth. It wasn't. It wasn't the only time he came to earth in human form. If he was king of, of Jerusalem back in those days, that is talking about in the time of Abraham, I don't think he sit on his throne for only 30 minutes. I wonder how many years or decades that Jesus 
Jesus actually sit on a throne in Jerusalem in the human form. Thousands of people saw Jesus in human form during those decades. And they didn't know it was God. Ain't that amazing? People live no more thousand years now. I don't know about Amen. I don't say that. Hundreds of years. So, where have you ever heard that before? That's logic. Logical thinking is absent in the churches. Do I have a verse saying that he sat on a throne in Jerusalem for decades back then? No, I don't. But it says he was king of that city. If he was king of that city, did he sit on that throne for 30 minutes? Of course not. Logic is absent in the preaching and teaching of pastors in the churches. Probably the history of him sitting on that throne has probably been lost on purpose since he was God. He probably designated for those papers and those records to be uh, temporarily buried, not destroyed. I guarantee you, eventually, those records will be uh, uh, revealed. We'll probably even read about his judgments. We'll probably, perhaps, maybe even read about it sometime in the future, in the millennium, in the hundred years, in paradise, whatever. Read about his judgments uh, and the things that occurred in that time frame of when he served as the king of Jerusalem. Very interesting. Let's move forward here. But he was God in the flesh. And he remains, verse 3 says, he remains a priest forever. Verse 4, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave the tithe of the choicest spoils. That means the best, not the least, not the leftover change. Amen? I don't like what says choices, the best, the best spoils. Verse 5, now those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tithe of the people. That is, from the brethren, although these are descended from Abraham. But the one, the Keziak, whose genealogy is not traced from them, collected a tithe from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. And without any dispute, the lesser, Abraham, is blessed by the greater, Jesus. In which case, mortal mankind receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when the Kedzikat met him. Then it moves on to talking more specifically about the Levitical priesthood in verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, 
for on the basis of it, he received the law. What father need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Kezak and not to be designated according to the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. Verse 13, for the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe. So what this says is, in the old covenant law, the high priest and all the priests had to be of the particular tribe of Israel, of the Levite tribe. But Jesus was not of the Levite tribe. He was of the Judah tribe, the Jews. So there had to be a change in the law there. So the Bible actually tells you when there's a change in the law. It may not always say it like this, that there's a change in the law, but it does tell you uh, when there's a change in the law. We do not see anywhere where the Sabbath was changed, or the holy days were changed, or that tithe was changed or done away with. But rather, this right here actually tells us that the tithe still exists, but instead of giving it to the Levite priesthood, we now have the priesthood of Jesus himself. And so people would try to make the excuse, well, if we don't have the Levitical priesthood, we can't just... Uh, transfer a money wire to heaven to pay it to Jesus, so we don't have to pay it at all. That's what that's their reason. But does not Jesus have representatives on earth? Amen. Amen. Does not Jesus have uh, pastors, representatives, servants, true Christians? on the earth that represent his kingdom, his authority? Of course. Absolutely. Just because the Levitical priesthood is done away with doesn't mean that there's not a still priesthood. When we're talking about Jesus, we're only talking about the high priest. You've got the lower priest. Amen. So in the, the Levitical priesthood being done away with, you're doing away with the high priest being replaced by Jesus and the lower priest being replaced by prophets and apostles and pastors and evangelists and deacons, the fivefold ministry that we see and we read about in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians 12. So that's the change in the law. I don't have to be a Levite to be a representative of God. Amen? It doesn't change the tithe. It, the tithe still exists because it doesn't say that that's removed. And you can't assume it. And you assume things and make a, uh, a donkey of yourself. Well, there's nothing wrong with saying jackass, right? That's an animal. Nothing wrong with saying that. Okay? This is simple stuff. This is simple. But they try to use this verse to say that you don't have to pay tithes, but it actually doesn't teach it. It teaches the actually opposite of that. There is still priesthood. There is still ministry. There is still the kingdom of God. And the purpose of tithes always was 
and still is and always will be to help people, including uh, giving people the true gospel, printing Bibles, shipping Bibles, gospel tracts, taking care of the ministry website, uh, taking care of people when they need firewood or food or rent, whatever. Taking care of the church membership and taking care of the pastors. Because the pastor's job is being the pastor. The pastor's job is not going to work somewhere else. The pastor's job is taking care of the church. And he deserves, as the Bible says he deserves, double honor. But in the context where it says that, it's talking about money. That's the context. And that was always the purpose of tithes, was to help not only the church membership, but also be the priests themselves, the ones that was devoted their life to God, that was not even allowed to work outside the priesthood in the temple. They was taking care of the temple all the time. They was not even allowed to own land because the church, the church or the nation of Israel back then was responsible for taking care of them. This is Bible. Nah. People don't like it. It doesn't fit their denominational teaching. It doesn't fit the pastor's teaching. It doesn't fit the church teaching. But it's Bible. Everything I'm talking about is Bible. People don't like what the Bible teaches. They'd rather make up their own stuff. And that's what people do. Now let's go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, uh, chapter 7. The book of Romans is all the time referred to to try to say God's law is void. But when they do that, they pick and choose. And we're going to read verses today that they will not read because it exposes their lies. Romans 7, verse 6. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which is by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the wholeness of the letter. And they would use this and twist it to say all of it's done away with. That's not actually what it says. Amen. That's not actually what it says. If you just read the very next verse. Amen. Come on now. Read Amen. the next verse. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary. On the contrary. I would not have come to know sin, what sin is, except through the law. For I would not have even known about coveting if the law had not said, that shall, that shall not covet. We need the law. We have to be told to not covet, to not bear false witness, to not murder, to not have false gods. And so we have to be told those things. That is good to have those laws. Amen? The law is not sin. But the churches of the Sunday churches, they would teach that the law is sin, that the law is evil, that the law is bad, that the law is useless, the law is horrible. That's not what this says. 
not what this says. What Paul is saying in verse 6 is that you should not be legalistically obsessed with the letter of the law while ignoring the spirit of the law. For example, we just talked about tithes. They were not taking care of their parents or anyone else, not taking care of the people because they was too focused, obsessed with the legalism, the bondage of paying all the tithes and offerings to the temple and just storing it up in a bank account in the temple and letting it sit there and go to waste and not help. That was never the spirit of the law. They were following the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. This is what Paul is preaching against. He's not saying that the law is evil or done away with or avoid or nullified, but rather that we should keep the law of God in its original intent. That's what he's saying. This shows you how the preachers don't understand the Bible. Go to verse 12. So then the law is holy, not evil. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. They don't want to read that verse, Amen. do they? They don't want to read that verse. There's a lot of verses here. I bet they even skip this whole chapter because there's a lot of good verses here. Look at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sowed in bondage to sin. So he's fighting. Now, this whole chapter here is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. One of my favorite. Because Paul is confessing that he's a sinner, that he battles against sin on a constant basis. And he's, he's tearing himself up here like we do like the human nature is to do. We tear ourselves up, uh, striving for, for, for perfection, as we should be doing, and, and as he did, which was the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. People don't like it, but it's the right thing to do. And I've had people say that they're so glad that they don't have to do that, that they pushed that aside. They should have never pushed it aside. Never should have. Because we need to feel conviction of our sins. We need that. If you're going to push all of this striving against sin to the side and do away with it, then you're no longer convicted of sin. That's not a good thing. I would rather battle within myself. And as Paul did, as he did set the example best to it. Amen? So that I am repenting, continually repenting and growing in the Lord and drawing closer to Him because it is the trials and sufferings of life that draws us closer to God. Amen? It makes us cry out to God and seek Him and seek His face more and seek His holiness and His righteousness. If we just push all this to the side and feel like we're saints, or that we don't have to be saints, then we're not going to be saints. That we're required to be saints to get to heaven. Anybody that goes to heaven 
you have to be a saint. If you're not reached sainthood by the time by, of the first resurrection, you're not going to enter in. People think they're going to heaven without being saints. People actually think that. They really do. They actually think they're going to heaven without being a saint. Read the Bible, people. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. There ain't no sin or sinful person going to enter heaven. It ain't going to happen. People want the easy way. Verse 16. For if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that the law is holy or good. The law is good. Look at verse um, 25. Verse 25. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Theos, through Jesus, the Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. What he's saying is he's struggling with sin, <clears throat> but he's trying to obey God's law. Amen. Why does he say that if he really thought that God's law is void? Why would he say that he is? trying to obey God's law. Why would he say that? Amen? Even though he struggled with sin, as we all do, he acknowledged the law is good and holy and useful, needful, and he himself was trying to obey it. That goes completely contradictory your average Sunday church that says that you uh, don't even have to try. Let's go to chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 2, may it never be. May it never be. How who we how should we who died to sin still live in it? But your average Sunday church would say, Yes. We may break God's law. You have permission and you are even encouraged to break the Sabbath and God's commandments and tithe and everything in order that grace may increase. They would say yes to verse 1. But Paul said no to verse 1. They contradict this. Amen. And yet, the same book of Romans they love to use to say the law's done away with because they ignore every one of these verses, every one of these verses, every one of these verses from the same book of Romans, the same book of Romans. They ignore all these verses to pick out, out of context, out of context, verses that make it look like that Paul 
spoke entirely against the law. He was only speaking against circumcision, specifically, and legalism and animal sacrifices. That's why he was speaking. He never spoke against the Sabbath ever, not even once. Not even once. He never spoke about keeping Pentecost against it, against keeping Pentecost, or against speaking the peace, uh, keeping the peace of tabernacles. Not even once. Amen. So they take the entire book out of context. Look at chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 1. No, verse 31. The last verse of Romans 3. The last verse of Romans 3, verse 31. Do we then nonify or void? And that's what we're going to use the word void rather than nonify. Do we void the law through faith? He answers his own question. May it never be that on the contrary, we establish the law. What he's saying there about establish is that we are uh, teaching it. We are observing it, but we're doing so mixed with faith according to what he's saying here in verse 27, uh, but by a law of faith. So what your average Sunday church would try to twist it to say that the law is only that you must have faith. That's not what he's saying especially when you read the whole book and everything that we've been reading here, if you read the whole thing, it's not what he's saying is that all you have to do is have faith. That's not what he's saying at all. Not at all. Amen? How are you going to have faith without obedience? How are you going to have faith without obedience? It don't make sense. Read James. Amen? Read the whole Bible. This is simple stuff. Simple, simple, simple. Let's go to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. And look how many verses I'm given of evidence. Amen? Look at how many verses I'm giving of evidence and proof compared to the number of verses that they try to give. Their sermon, literally 20 to 45 minutes, and literally one, two, three verses. That's about it. I'm not, I'm not kidding, am I? Am I exaggerating? I don't think I'm exaggerating. I've been to those churches. I've sat there. I know how they preach. How many verses am I giving? How long am I preaching? Amen? Matthew 5, verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish or to void the law. Don't think it. But isn't that what they think? Amen? That is what they think. They're, not, they're never going to read this verse in a Sunday church, will they? They would never, ever, 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 ever read this verse in a Sunday church. It ain't going to happen. I guarantee you that. I did not come, I said, don't think I've come to destroy or to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to abolish, but to bring to fullness. That that's not the same as abolish. They say they think they think that bringing to fullness or to fulfill it is the same thing as abolishing. But if it's the same thing as abolishing, then the sentence won't make sense. The verse won't make sense. Is it become Jesus didn't contradict himself. But they're basically teaching that he is contradicting himself. Because they think to fulfill the law is the same thing as to void the law. But he's saying that's not what I'm doing. Verse 18, for I tell you the truth, or amen, until when? Until the crucifixion? Until the resurrection? No. Until Paul dies? Until John dies? No, until the end of the first century? No. Until heaven and earth pass away. That's not happened yet. Amen? Until heaven and earth pass away, pass away not one jot, not one letter J, not one stroke, not one part of a letter, shall depart from the law until all, until everything is accomplished. Everything. And they would say, oh, it was all accomplished on the cross. But he said, not until heaven and earth pass away. So that proves them wrong. Amen. In verse 19, whoever then breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches people the same, also to break the commandments, shall be called least by the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he should be called great by the kingdom of heaven. Now, this doesn't mean you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven if you teach breaking God's law. Because Matthew 7 said that Jesus will say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. Right? So it does not mean they're going to still yet enter the kingdom. But rather what it means is, is that the saints who do enter in the kingdom will look down negatively upon those that teach against breaking the commandments. That's what that means. Verse 20, I'll say to you that unless your righteousness, oh yeah, <laughs> praise God Almighty right here. Praise God Almighty right here. Because look, it compares Revelation 19, 8, where it's righteousness according to the law. Amen? It's not just righteousness. It's righteousness according to God's law. Oh, that Greek word. That Greek word there. I'm pretty sure it's the same Greek word as Revelation 9. If it is, we need to put righteousness according to the law. That it has to surpass. It has to be greater than the righteousness that is according or is allotted to the scribes and the Pharisees. And unless you do that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. Your average Sunday church preacher and average Sunday Christian thinks they're going to enter heaven just only because they said a prayer of salvation and that's it, not according to the measure of righteousness. 
They will even preach that, that it's not according to your measure of righteousness, but only by God's grace, only by God's love, only by God's mercy that you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But here, it presumably they will never read this, will they? Amen. They will purposely go out of their way to not read this verse because it blows their doctrine to a million pieces. You will not ever, 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 ever go to heaven unless your righteousness according to God's law surpasses, is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes. And those people kept the law, but only kept the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And that's their problem. We, to have a better righteousness, to have a greater righteousness, is that we must keep the spirit of the law. So instead of saying to people, it's a sin to smoke cigarettes, we don't say that because that's a lot. Because Jesus himself said that it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man spiritually, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man spiritually. Amen? So, it's not that a cigarette is a sin, but rather it's the addiction to the cigarettes. It's a huge difference. And it's a difference that will make every Every degree of importance, for lack of better words, difference. That's the word, difference. It'll make all the difference in the world about whether or not that person will confess or commit to stop smoking, to overcome the addiction. If you tell that man that is addicted to cigarettes, it's a sin to smoke cigarettes, he's not going to stop because he disagrees with and he has every right to disagree with that. But if you tell that same man that it's not a sin to smoke a cigarette, but it's an addiction that has gained control over you and it controls you, he can agree with that. And, oh, yeah, he will, but he knows that's the truth. They know that's the truth, that it controls him, that he's addicted to it. That's a fact of reality that he can't disagree with. That's the better approach because that's the truth. Amen? And so you go with it in that direction, you can actually literally help that person. Amen? The truth makes all the difference in the world. It's not what you put in your mouth, but rather what you do with it, whether, it, whether you become obsessed with it or not, whether it takes over you or not, amen, whether it ruins your life and completely ruins your health and ruins your finances, they're spending 7 and $8 a pack for a pack of cigarettes. What a huge waste of money that they could be uh, feeding their kids better educating their kids better, uh, paying their rent, taking, and taking care of the gospel, paying their tithes, 
but people don't pay the tithes because they got to pay $8 a pack for a cigarette. That's the same thing as giving all your money to the temple, but even worse. Amen? People say cigarettes are a sin because it destroys your temple, your body. That's not why it's a sin. It's not. Because if that was the issue, then it would be a sin to eat a donut because it's bad for our health, to eat a snack cake because it's bad for our health, to drink a soda pop because it's bad for our health and destroys the, the temple of God. That's not why it's a sin, people. It's a sin only when it becomes an addiction. Amen? When it takes over and ruins your life. Amen? Amen. We have to be able to change how we witness to people and face the reality of, of what the Bible says and not just blow scriptures away when it says, it, when it says uh, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles a man. People just want to throw that away and ignore it. When people who smoke cigarettes bring that verse up to you, don't ignore it. It is truly, really is a reasonable verse to consider. You're the one ignoring it, not them. If you're the one ignoring Scripture, then you've got a problem. Amen. So on, so on, so on. Everything's a sin to them. Everything's a sin. I don't encourage smoking cigarettes. I don't. It is a bad thing, and I praise God that God did deliver me from cigarettes divinely. It was a divine miracle that God delivered me from. And I praise God for it. I don't encourage smoking cigarettes, but I'm not going to condemn a person if they were to be able to control themselves and say, like, some guys like to smoke a cigar just every now and then. There are people that way that can exercise self-control. And if they can exercise self-control and smoke a cigar or a cigarette, whatever, or a pipe, just every now and then, then all, all the power to them. Amen? Fine. I ain't got no problem with those people, and neither does God, if they can exercise self-restraint. Amen? Now, here in Matthew, if you were to keep reading, look at verse 21, you shall not commit uh, murder. Verse 27, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, verse 31 32 continues about adultery. So even though not all the Ten Commandments are listed here, the context is still clear. Jesus did not have to repeat or regurgitate every one of the Ten Commandments in order to get his point across. Because people back then had more common sense than what people have today. Just by listing only two or three of the commandments, he was able to get, get across his point. Amen? Today, in modern times, I have to literally be a dead horse dead 
to get across a point because people don't have much common sense anymore. So I have to be a dead worse dead, as the old saying goes. I have to keep on and keep on and keep on explaining it to help people understand. But people back then had more intelligence, more common sense, and so he didn't have to repeat all ten in order to get his point across. They knew once he started listing just some of the commandments, what set of laws that he was talking about. He was talking about the Ten Commandments. He was not saying that everything written in all of the laws of the 600 and some commandments about um, you can't have sex with your wife while she's on the period and the unclean meats and the circumcision and the animal sacrifices and a lot of other things and the washing and all that. He wasn't saying all of that law is eternal. That wouldn't make any sense. Amen? It's not logical to think, especially when you have all the New Testament to read, it's not logical to believe that a man must, regardless of your age, must cut the skin off his penis so that when the resurrection comes, that he'll be able to enter in, into heaven. That doesn't make any sense. God doesn't care how big the penis is how wide the penis is, whether there's skin there or not skin there, whether you have a, a mole between your legs or a wrinkle between your legs. God doesn't care about these physical things. Just like he doesn't care about a physical cigarette or a physical beer. He doesn't care about these things. Amen? Amen. People are so obsessed with a man's foreskin or with a beer, or with this, or with that, or with a cigarette, whatever, everything, everything. They're so obsessed, amen, on the little things. Like Jesus said, how did he say it about uh, swallowing a gnat? They strain a gnat, they swallow a camel. There you go. They strain the little tiny gnat out of the water while swallowing a huge camel. Elephant in the room, as Brother Gerald said. This is so true. Amen. They nitpick on these little things while ignoring the heavier matters of the law. Amen. God is good. Amen. Believe me, brothers and sisters, I don't have enough energy to come up with this stuff. <laughs> I am sleepy, I am tired, I'm exhausted. I don't have enough brain power in my little body to make this sermon as perfect as it is. It is not myself that preaches this and teaches this, but it is the presence of God in me. I don't have this much brain power. I'm older now, I'm not young anymore, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I didn't sleep that well, but every word that comes out of my mouth that 
perfectly fits the scripture and perfectly fits and comes back around again. It's not by my skill. It is not by my talent, but it is by God that dwells in me. Amen. Amen. God is good. When he said that none of the law would be abolished in heaven and earth, he's specifically talking in the context of what he was saying in the following verses very clearly. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments would include the Sabbath day. He did not have to list the Sabbath day because his audience already believed in the Sabbath and knew the Sabbath and kept the Sabbath. He didn't have to regurgitate all Ten Commandments. They knew what he was talking about, the Ten Commandments. So I had somebody just the other day on Facebook try to say that God doesn't change. It's the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He doesn't change. He didn't come to destroy the law. Therefore, the clean clean and unclean meat laws are still required. If you're going to use these same verses to say that the clean, unclean meat laws are still required because God does not change and because he did not abolish any law, then automatically that means that you must, every time you sin, you must kill an animal. You must have an animal sacrifice for sins every, every, every time you sin, which for many people, most people, is almost every day. You run out of animals. And you must also uh, start cutting the penis. And not at birth. And not after eight days anymore. But rather, every time a man uh, comes to the Lord, that's stupid. That's stupid. Amen? And yet, I'm sure that same man that argued with me, I'm sure he doesn't believe in animal sacrifices. So you can twist and you can use these words. God never changes and God did not abolish the law. And you can apply it to any of the laws of the Bible, any of the 600 and some commandments. But how do we know which law it's talking about? Right here, he started listing the Ten Commandments. That is the set of laws, the eternal law, that Abraham kept, that Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kept, that Moses really only repeated. Amen? And that God repeated himself on Mount Sinai. It wasn't the first time that God commanded the Sabbath. Amen? So don't let people twist this to try to fit like a piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit. Where the piece of the puzzle might look like the letter S, but they take the S, and that's God speaking right there, 
Amen? I'm not that smart or don't have that much energy or brain power in me to come up with this. But the puzzle, the one piece of the puzzle that is still left, looks like an S, and yet they take the S and try to squeeze it in and try to force it to fit, and that's exactly what they do with the clean, unclean meat laws and circumcision with this verse. It has nothing to do with it. Amen. Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, and the Sabbath being a foundation to all the other holy days, and we have prophecy in the Bible of after Jesus returns to this earth, that everyone on earth, of every language, of every tongue, of every nation, of every color, will be required to keep God's holy days. We have that in Zechariah 14. We have that in Isaiah. So we have more than one verse to confirm that. So we're not misunderstanding. I had a, a, a preacher, I said, uh, Zechariah 14, Jesus comes back, everybody on earth, even the Gentiles, even in Egypt, has to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. I said, this is what it says right here. He, he said, let me read this. He read it. He said, wait, let me look at uh, the footnote in my study Bible to see what it explains. And the footnote was right. That this was uh, uh, the Masoretic era coming when the Lord comes back, all the nations are required to keep the holy days. The footnote was actually right in the Bible. You know what that preacher did? He slammed his Bible shut. He said, I don't believe it. That's not right. That's not correct. I said, what does it mean then? He said, I don't know, but that's not it. That's not correct. He never was. He didn't even call back later the same day. He didn't even call back the next day or the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year. He never, ever, ever did give me an explanation of Zechariah 14. He can't. He won't. He refuses to because it contradicts his denominational teaching. And that's your average Sunday preacher. You can't confuse Zechariah 14. Even the man-made study Bible understood it in the footnotes because you can't, you can't misunderstand it. It's so clear that even the footnote is correct. And the pastor just slams the Bible shut saying, that can't be right. I don't believe it. That's not right. But you can't take that verse in any other way. It's so clear. It's so simple. It's so easy. The truth is simple, and they still refuse to believe it. Even when they read it out of their own eyes, even when he read it out loud to me, he still did not believe what he read in the Bible with his own eyes. He is not willing to allow the Bible to change his beliefs. They're stuck in Babylon. The truth is simple, but it's false religion that is so confusing to me. That's why Revelation 18 verse 4 calls false religion Babylon, because the word Babylon means confusion. 
What you've heard today is not confusing at all. It's simple. Amen. You don't have to twist these words. You don't have to make it, uh, you don't have to try to make it fit. It fits perfectly. Amen. But they would take everything out of context. I know people don't like it, but I so often point the finger at other Christians, other pastors, other churches. They don't like that. But how can I help myself? When I read the Bible and it contradicts what all the other preachers are saying, what all the other Christians are saying, what all the other Christians are believing, is it not my job to blow the trumpet, to sound the alarm, to warn the people that they're in a trap? That's my job. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to change my style of preaching. I can't do it even if I tried. Because I have every right in the world to get upset, frustrated at all the lies that they are teaching and that people are swallowing hook, line, and sinker. People are so gullible. very sad. Let me see if there's anything I left out. We know that Hebrews 4 verse 9 says that the Sabbath remains to the people of God. We know that Malachi 3 teaches the requirement of tithes in the end time. And that's the context of Malachi 3. It really is. The context of Malachi 3 is the end time generation and the requirement of tithes in our generation. It's very simple there in Malachi 3. So again, it's not that all of laws, God's law is done away, but some is. We know that animal sacrifices are done away. We know that circumcision is done away. God doesn't care about that. We know that the clean and unclean meats are done away because that's very clear in Acts 10. And that was what I was arguing with the guy about the other day on Facebook. Acts 10. When he said God doesn't change, he didn't destroy the law and all that. But in Acts 10, I kept asking this man over and over, and he, he refused to answer this question. Why did God tell Peter to eat those animals? Repeatedly. Why did God tell Peter to kill and eat those animals. And God said it more than once. And they're like, it's only symbolism because if you read later on, later in the same chapter, Acts 10, Peter himself explains himself, explains the vision that God claimed the Gentiles. I said, I know that excuse. I also was taught that excuse. I know what it says in the rest of the chapter, I know. But why did God tell Peter, command Peter, to eat those animals? God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Just repeating, just regurgitating the same crap over and over and over and over. Can't answer the question. The other question he refused to answer is this. 
Why would God use something that had not been cleansed, the animals, that they had not been cleansed, to represent the Gentiles that had been cleansed? That doesn't make any sense. I kept repeating the same thing. He just can't answer it. Just like the pastor that slammed the Bible shut. These people can't answer simple questions because they refuse to allow Acts 10 or Zechariah 14 or whatever the case may be or Hebrews 4 verse 9 that the Sabbath still remains, whatever verse, whatever topic we're talking about, they refuse, they absolutely refuse to allow the Bible to change their thinking. Stubbornness, absolute stubbornness, and it's pride as well because they, they, they think they're too good to be wrong. They really do. And, and totally impossible that they could be wrong. Totally impossible. I won't even consider the possibility that I might be wrong. That's the way these people are. That's the way the, 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 the people are about Buddhism, about yoga. That's the way they are. They won't even take a second thought of self-examination. I might be wrong. It's impossible that I would be wrong. No self-examination. No first commandment. Amen? Making void the law of God for their own traditions. I will tell you this. My friends and true brothers and true sisters that actually believe the Bible, and you share my frustration, and you see the same things I'm seeing with your families and your friends, I give you this word of encouragement that time is short. This bullcrap that we're dealing with, this stubbornness, this rebellion, this lawlessness that we are dealing with, on a daily basis with friends and family and people and these false Christians, these double-minded false Christians, we won't have to deal with this bull crap much longer. Amen? Amen? Some of us may have to lose jobs or houses or homes over it, but we ain't going to have to deal with this bull crap much longer. There's a God in heaven and he is not a million miles away. He's right here. He sees and hears everything. There's nothing that escapes his attention. And even though they think that God doesn't judge us, does not judge, does not condemn, and will not send them to hell into the lake of fire, there is a great tribulation of brewing is at the door. I don't know whether it's this next spring or the following spring, but I can guarantee you that time goes very quickly. And even before the Great Tribulation, there's going to be more 
and more persecution, more and more laws set down against the conservatives, more and more people arrested, more and more people dying through disease and sickness and affliction and the hand of God. So in addition to the great tribulation as being the hand of God of judgment, even before then, even before then, even before we get to next spring and the next spring and the next spring, God's hand of judgment, I believe in God's love, his mercy, his grace. That's why he judges us. I don't believe in a God of anger, of wrath, but he does have wrath. Amen. He does have anger. And he is very upset and very angry at the hypocrisy of people who think that they are wonderful Christians but are double-minded and hypocritical. And absolutely refuse to examine themselves and what is sin and what's not sin, what is the will of God and what's not the will of God, and will not bulge an inch away from their stubborn rebellion against the commandments, Ten Commandments of God, knowing what the truth is. They still won't budge. I would hate to be in their shoes. I praise God that my conviction of my sins was not something that I could speak about in the past only, but even in the present. Even as Paul in Romans 7. I don't want to be like those fake Christians that think that God chastised me 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and it's over with. I want to feel the chastisement and conviction of God every day so that I am growing in God's will and growing in that relationship with God and drawing closer to Him, getting down on my knees, not just once a year, but on a constant basis, seeking repentance of my sins. I seek the confession of sins from Fiona, from Tammy, and from many other people. Confession of sins. Let go of this spirit of pride and stubbornness that 
Uh, oh, you didn't have nothing to do with it? You didn't do anything wrong? When we get to that point where we think we have done nothing wrong, then you have reached the, the stagnant waters, lukewarm waters. We need to be hot on fire for the Lord. Hot on fire for the Lord. You can't be hot on fire for the Lord and stay stuck in your traditions, your doctrines, and your beliefs in the same doctrines and the same beliefs forever and never changing any of your way of thinking. That's lukewarmness. That's not being passionate for God. If there's anything else in my notes that I left out, I believe that pretty much covers it. And I'll let Brother Gerald hear any statements if he has anything to share. And I love also uh, that last song we sung before the sermon, Trust and Obey. Looking for that song, and uh, I said I was looking for a song. I didn't say which song. And Brother Gerald was thinking of the exact same song. That's the Holy Ghost of Jesus meeting. Amen. Because, I mean, there's over 200 sound files that I could play, but Brother Gerald is thinking of the exact same song. We don't even, we never sing that for services. Never, ever, ever. We never have. Maybe once, I don't know, years ago, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not even then. We never sing that for services. But he was thinking of the exact same song as I was. So that's that's the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hi, Brother Joe. What you got? Two um, say that none of the old covenant laws are done away with. There's a lot of things you can't read in the Bible that are there, but then there's some things that they aren't there and you don't read them, but it's very interesting not there. For example, when the when the Gentiles joined the old the old covenant, Old Testament, when the Gentiles joined themselves to the Israelites, they had to be circumcised, even the men did the adult men. So if that was still the case that these large baptisms like the the Pentecost, the holy days of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles got saved, baptized, devoted themselves to Christ, we would be reading about a hill of foreskins and tons of circumcision. You know what? That's something because in Acts, they had 3,000 people come to the Lord and be baptized, and it says nothing about circumcision. You know, Philip baptized the eunuch. I'm sure he would. He wasn't circumcised. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Philip witnessed to the eunuch at the chariot and baptized the man. He didn't say, hey, let's go get circumcised. So you got to be circumcised eight days from now, or anything like that. We never read anywhere in the New Testament where somebody got saved, and then one of the disciples, or apostles, or Jesus, or anyone said, "Now you got to be circumcised." It's not there. It's not needed. It's not required. It doesn't serve any purpose anymore. 
Okay, what else? on the hypocrisy of these false preachers. So they say they're, they're they say they're holy men, they're men of God. What are God's laws? What are God's commands? Oh God has no laws. God, God has no commandments. It'd be very obvious that Satan is your God. Yeah. And I also want to add on that subject the way they twist the Bible verses and keep thinking about it, how they pick and choose and pick and someone says uh, like Someone says 30 minutes, an hour sermon, and they just pick a few, a few, a few seconds here, a few seconds. That's the way CNN and the fake news do it to make people sound crazy. Yeah. Even in the photograph, someone sneezes, and that's their face. They have a two-hour speech, and they sneeze, and that's their face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening and your long suffering and patience. And uh, counting down 28 or 29 days to Pentecost now. 28 to 29 days to Pentecost. Basically, one month to Pentecost. It'll be here before we know it. And I look forward to meeting Brother Andrew from New York coming down to spend time with us for the Holy Day. And I wish we had more people in America come be with us as well. Very sad that the Americans are the worst in the world about not wanting to devote themselves into the truth. We are the ones that have the most access to knowledge and information, internet, internet data, and the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, they just throw it away. Um, the word of God as trash. Very sad. Um, so, it is what it is. Day of judgment is coming. Take confidence, take encouragement that time is short and God will repay. Amen. God will repay both the wicked and the righteous. God will repay. He is just. He is righteous. And um, all going to be okay because God will separate those from the sheep. He will. He's already doing that. He's already doing that. He is faithful. So just continue to long suffer and take encouragement where you can and continue to witness and testify to people and get the seed of the Word of God out there wherever you can. Testify and witness. And keep it simple. And keep it just to the most important um, doctrines, such as the Sabbath, Holy Days. Keep it simple. Keep it basic. Don't give too much to people that are not worthy. Amen. If they're not accepting the Sabbath, they're not worthy of anything else. Amen. They're really not. If they won't accept something that is so basic, so elementary, none of the Ten Commandments, they won't even change their habits of what they do on the Sabbath. They treat it like any other day. They're not worthy of any other truth. They're really not. They're dogs. That's what the Bible calls them, dogs. People hate when I say that. But that's what Jesus said. They hate the words of Jesus. 
They don't want to even come to the to our worship services because I speak the words of Jesus and they hate the words of Jesus. That's not loving. That's not loving. It doesn't tickle my ear good enough. You know, I'm just antagonizing the devil, man. I'm just antagonizing the devil, and that's good. That's what I want to do. Amen. Because I was born to be a warrior. So did you. You were born to be a warrior. If we keep our mouth shut, the devil reigns. We have to speak, make a stand against evil. We must do this. We must stand against. We must stand against evil in every level, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially. We must stand against evil. Evil. We must stand our ground and trust the arm of God to give us the victory. God is faithful and powerful. He will give us the victory. We have seen it already. God, we are on his side. He is on our side. As long as we're standing on the right side, although the ground may shake and the wind may blow, we will not fall. It is those other people that are on shaky ground that have built their house on sand. When the winds blow, the ground shakes, it will be they that fall and not us. When we fight for God, God will fight for us. Keep up the good fight and fight harder. Because the war is raging. Fight harder and do not give up. The victory is ours. Brother Hugh, Sister Dominique, fight. Fight with all of your being. Fight with all of your power and not only the power that you have, but the power of the Holy Ghost in you. Fight and fight fiercely. You don't even have to fight fair. But I guarantee you, if I have to, when I'm in a fight with a man, I'll kick him in the balls. 
That's against the rules. But if that's what I have to do to make sure I win, I do it. If he, if he deserves it, if he deserves it. Because he'd do the same to me. I guarantee you he would do the same to me. When you're in a fight, everything is fair. You've got to fight hard and with all of your ability and with all the ability of God in you. Don't trust God to do all of it. You have to do your part as well. If you fight for him, he'll fight for you. This false mentality of typical Christians, average Christian, is let God fight for you. You don't have to do a thing. That's not right. God expects you to do your part. God expects you to do your part. You fight for him, he'll fight for you. All right. I'll let you go and I'll see you next Saturday. And if you are obedient to Christ Jesus, then may God bless you in amazing ways. Amen.